love this cup. We are rolling on Jungle Brothers podcast episode 40. Episode 40, welcome fam. Jungle Brothers here. Uh, we're drinking the coffee today from our boy Tree over at Panavore. Um, <laughs> we'll go into that, but we're, we're, we've got Lucas who's also a coffee guy and we're making him drink the, the devil's nectar from the competition. Mm. Um, hey, if you need to get at us, junglebrothers.com or you can get us on Instagram at junglebrothersmovement. We've got a bunch of cool shit going on. We'll tell you a little bit more about it at the end of the episode. But this Monday, we are actually starting construction of our mezzanine and the mezzanine is going to house our full-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program and that's going to be head up by myself and our head coach, David Brooksbank, long-time black belt. So it's about to get pretty real down here and come check it out. If you've never tried Jiu-Jitsu before, it's a perfect welcoming environment to come and do it. Or if you just want to lift weights and learn how to do body weight uh, beastly skills, then you can come and do that too. I think we're um, going to have 110 square metres of rolling space. Of mat space. Mm. Decent. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's a big spot. All exclusive to, to jiu-jitsu. That's right. Yeah. This gonna, Monday, you say? That's news to me. Yeah, we start this Monday. Well, actually, we start, we start tomorrow. You didn't yeah. know. I we didn't We've got to move some gear around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> to make way for the construction. Yeah. But uh, it's going to be taking place over probably a month. So, you know, we're hoping to get up and running. We're building uh, a whole new level. The, within the next month or two. But, yeah, oh. shit's going to get real. And a little bit dusty. Is it going to have a rail on the side or you just get rolled off the side? If you <laughs> yeah. lose? It's going to have a cage, like a mesh fence. Like, like <laughs> actually, so you walk into the gym and people be having their faces mushed up against the fence, stuff like that. Your face. <laughs> <My> face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be Could you imagine him on the mats? Bro, it'd be I so good. Be, an be so competitive. A little bit. Yeah. It's probably why you stay off, <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> we got, uh, we got our, our homeboy Lucas with us today. Uh, Lucas Giorgio. Yes, that's Lucas Georgiou, Georgiou. Georgiou. Um, mate, you've you've been a uh, you've been a, a local to our gym and to the body area for a long time, yep. and you got a lot of things going on, and, and we're going to kind of get into that. But I thought maybe you could start by just introducing yourself, who you are, and what you do, and how you ended up here. Uh, uh, my name's Lucas Giorgio, uh, owner local cafe down the road and coffee roastery. Uh, Here's De, De Luca De Luca cafe. Coffee. How coffee. many years you been there? I uh, just cracked eight. Awesome. Eight years. And the boys used to come into the cafe and I was always whinging about my neck and my back. and <laughs> Always the neck. Always the neck. The neck. <laughs> and the back, the lower back. Yeah. And uh, joined up, I don't know, three years ago now. And Took a little bit of time for you to get in the gym. Yes. You said you were coming in a few times and then you came in and then you disappeared. Yeah. Then you came in, then disappeared again. We didn't want to push it. I was like, you don't want to ruin that relationship. <laughs> yeah, but once I committed, I committed. And right? then you committed, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, uh, now you're fucking rock solid. Yeah, it's been good. It's kind of fixed a lot of problems and kept me running around with the young kids in my sports, which is good. The neck, the neck is fixed now. You'd like officially say it's fixed. Uh, I mean, probably niggles. Yeah, no. No niggles, no Cairo visits. We did it. Um, it took a little, still a little bit of frustration at first. Like, it, it took a little while, but... Since uh, I pretty much stopped skydiving because I like one day of jumping would you know I'd wear it for a, at least a week afterwards and it was just not fun. Same with surfing, was starting to aggravate it and um, yeah, no, no pain anymore. Lots of jumps this year and awesome. Uh, it's been good. So you got the, the coffee thing going on, the skydiving piece. What, what's the deal there? Uh, with skydiving? Yeah, like how often do you do it? How have you done it for a long time? Guy's a world record holder. Uh, 
Um, Let's put it that way. 20-something years. So I started in 96, 96, so 23 years now. Sort of got into it pretty hard when I was young and competed a lot and sort of went in and out of the sport um, a little bit. And then as I've gotten older, it got, as I said, it got a little bit hard because it started to hurt. Um, but, you know, last couple of years been able to get back into it and without any pain and discomfort and even just crawling around in the plane, crawling down low. Like a lot of that stuff that used to really piss me off now is just not a problem. So it's changed things big time. We've rebuilt him. Yeah. Turned him into a machine. That's right. He's unbreakable now. He doesn't even <laughs> use a parachute anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Point break. <laughs> Keanu. He just dives out of the fucking thing. You're being very humble here though. Are you not in the Guinness... Well, book of world records now. Uh, I don't, you I hold don't a world know. record. Yeah, we do hold a world record. It was a golf. It was definitely a goal for this year because uh, I used to compete. We had a team. Uh, we competed at national level. We were what is, how do you compete in skydiving? Uh, what, what, there's different you, disciplines. So our, our discipline was uh, vertical format. Um, so we. That um, means like standing up. So you either got feet to earth or head to earth. Yeah. Normally. Uh, so our fall rate is around 180, 190 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so, so when you're going vertical, you're moving faster. Oh yeah, a lot faster. Like standard belly What's to earth stuff like is around speed? 200 k's, and we're sort of around the 300 k mark. Oh, uh, so damn, that's quick. Small Can you feel movements? it? Can you feel feel the sp- like the increase in speed, or do you just know that you're going faster? Oh, when you make a mistake, you shit's do. Dropping. Uh, that's when you notice it. A mistake, like you let an arm. Pull away or... Or, like or you go to move from a head-to-earth position to a feet-to-earth position, which is a transition, and you, you need to, like, nail that shit. You need to be, like, lightning. And if you're slightly off, you just, like, disappear up into the clouds. Like, you just... Yeah, Would you go you from 300 up? to 200 and your mates fall away from you. Fuck. Oh, wow. And it's just, like, you're watching a formation now and it's definitely not, not ideal. So when you get things wrong or... If you move into something too quickly or you move at something too quickly, you definitely... Oh, if you clashed heads with someone. Oh, it's knockout, yeah. It's that's like, that's a heavy hit. Yeah. So, like at the world hit record, like, uh, there was uh, two, four, six, uh, five planes. Get closer to your mic there for five me. Five planes. So, you're, we was get, uh, I was getting out of one of the tail planes and you're getting out before everyone else and you are getting out maybe four or five hundred meters away from the formation that you need to fly to and you can approach that formation at, at like stupid speeds if you're not in control and that's where you sort of start to notice speeds or if you go through little thin clouds and it just goes whooshing on by you're like wow we're actually moving but apart huh. from that you sort of feel it but you kind of focused on different things uh, you know i've never done it before i've never jumped out of a plane but when you're flying, yep. depending on like whichever configuration you're in, yep. is it stressed? Like, is there a lot of strain and tension that you have to hold? Like you said, physically, yeah, physically, like uh, on the neck or on the body. When you do uh, one jump, like your free falls around forty seconds, you don't really notice it. Like, you if you do ten jumps in a day, you'll actually go home sore. Yeah. Uh, but when you're flying in the wind tunnel that we train at in Penrith we can fly like 20 minutes um, over the space of a couple of hours in one minute blocks. So that's a, you, you do the equivalent of, I don't know, 30, 40 skydives in a training session. And during those sessions, you definitely feel muscle fatigue, absolutely. Like it's hard to hold, you get to a point you just can't hold your limbs against the air. 
So it's an absolute fitness, yes. Wow. Yeah. You guys has, that, has that always just been something that, you know, because I'm guessing you're hanging out with people who do it at a high level. Yep. Does that just come along with doing it more? Or yep. do people train specifically for that? They're lifting weights and... Uh, I think um, flying in the wind tunnel is is a very unique thing because like, like our record was we did 14 jumps in a day in a training session, in a training camp. Um, in the wind tunnel, you know, you can do up to about half an hour of flying and that's the equivalent of... 50 jumps mm-hmm. yeah. so it's it's a you can build your fitness in the tunnel in the sky it doesn't matter so much it's like 40 seconds and it's done for an hour yeah. whereas in the wind tunnel it's like in for a minute and a half out for two minutes in for a minute and a half out for two minutes in for a minute and a half so your recovery is like your heart is like pushing at, you yeah you're, you're maxed out that's cool yeah you can fuck up in a wind tunnel, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like you get thrown off to the side or yeah, all that sort hit, of stuff. Yeah, you can hit someone, get thrown off balance, get thrown against the wall. Yeah. Um, do you practice formation in the wind tunnel or just is it like one person at a time? No, no, we do our whole formation. We've had up to 16 people in there, I think. How, is it like a giant fan? It's just a, it's literally a tube with a fan that, that goes into a, into a bellows and accelerates through the, the section that you fly and then sort of just recirculates around the top of the tunnel and comes back through. Wow. So it's just literally so a hairdryer. Fucking crazy. And basically. what's the diameter of it if you've got 16 people, like as big as this room? Uh, the one at Penrith oh. is 16 feet, so it's like five, five metres. Okay. It's not big, hey. It's, not big, yeah. it's big enough for us to do... It's actually one of the bigger ones. They, they go down to about 12 feet, some of the smaller ones. Yeah, okay. I've seen some of that... Um, I, uh, I've seen videos on YouTube of some performance... Uh, yeah. stuff that people do i saw like a video of a girl that was like a world oh, champion Amy. she was like 14 years old and she was just doing it was really beautiful to watch yeah, yeah some of that what um, do you call that uh there is a name for it but it's figure diving <laughs> figure, yeah <laughs> figure, that, something like that it's actually incredibly hard to do in a graceful way like it's yes, really hard yeah. like small movements in in the wind tunnel like have big outputs yeah, so, sure, yeah. so moving in a graceful manner, in an aerodynamic manner, while making it look like you're not in the air is is, inc- is incredibly hard. Yeah. yeah. So she's yeah she was doing flips and catching it, yeah. and it was kind of artistic in the way that she was doing yeah. it. Yeah, it takes a lot of core strength actually. Yeah. So how do you do it then? So we fly our formations in there. That I'm was a jab. I'm having a dig about it. Hey, so what was the record then? What was the, you know, so I saw the video. Yep. There's you and like how many people? Uh, The actual record, we got 84. 84 humans? Yeah, 84 humans. You guys are jumping out of multiple planes or all out of the same plane? No, 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 out of five, it's either five or six aircraft. Fuck. Yep. Vertical. And then what are you you doing? So the the centre of the formation uh, builds first and we were building the formation feet Feet to earth, so we're falling, I don't know, around the 300k an hour mark and feet to earth makes you incredibly unstable. Um, and we all had to fly in and build uh, the formation as per the drawing, uh, connected um, with 84 people all feet to earth, which is, um, yeah, pretty challenging. It's definitely the, the most difficult formation style to build by far. Do you all have numbers? Like, do you know what... what where you have to be in that formation yep. or can you just join on? No, when no, you no, no. Like it's, all, it's all planned. You are put in the plane, you get told when to exit, how many seconds after this person, how many seconds before that person. Um, Is a choreographer oh, or a director? Oh, yeah, 100%, man. It all gets sent to you. They have trials. 
um, around the world. So they send coaches around the world to have selection camps. Wow. Um, which we set the Australian record earlier in the year and, and we got a few invites from that record. And that coach um, offers out invitations to the world record and they do that kind of all the way through Europe, all the way through the States. Um, and they had about 140 people invited to the event. They were hoping to get 100 way, a formation size of 100, which we got close within one or two people about three times. Um, but in the end, they, we just ran out of time and they were like, we want to get a record. So they just cut like a whole, whole section of the formation out to try and get a record in the end, which we did on the last jump. Holy shit, man. Yeah. So yeah. something like that is, a, is a, a, a project that you were aiming towards and working towards for what, like 12 months? 12 20, months. Right. Yeah, it was a 12-month process. Okay. And, and uh, they, they do them like every two years because it's, it's, it's a project that for them takes around 18 months to put together to get the coaches out all the, all the way around the world, to run all the selection camps, to choose the people that get the invites um, and then obviously organise the event, get everyone from around the world in one place for a week. And who funds all that? Uh, we do. Yep. Yeah. We do. The Australian Parachute Federation uh, does support us and um, helps the selection camps exist, um, helps cover the cost of the coaches arriving and, and doing the selection camps and then... Uh, depending on the event, we will get some money uh, to help us sort of get to the event and and participate and represent Australia. Wow. And uh, we've got great reputation actually over there for turning up and just delivering the goods uh, for all these records, like the head down record, the head up record and, and whatnot. So we've got a reputation to uphold. Well done, man. Yeah. So it was done here? No, it was done yeah. in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Is it, um, you know, because it's an obscure thing, right? And so, uh, I don't know, it, it's kind of, it, it strikes me as not maybe getting the, for the amount of work that goes in and the effort and the potential risk and the cost and all those things, yeah. maybe not get the coverage or the, the awareness that it deserves. Do you ever feel like that? Like, uh, it seems like a bit of an in thing and if you're in there, it's cool. But You, you were on the news, yeah, we've made the news a few times for for the different records. Um, yeah, kind of. It, or do I just it's live one under of those a things that just doesn't matter. Like the the recognition matters, but doesn't matter. Like if you're in the sport, like you've got a massive family. Like I can literally put my rig on my back, get on a plane, fly to a country I've never been to, rock up to a drop zone, say I'm from Australia. This is what I've done. Someone will take me in and look after me, show me where to go, give me a place to live. Okay. Like I've done that. I've literally rocked up in Spain. I got put up in a house, got given a car. It's like <clears throat> you can yeah, travel right. the world anywhere at any time and just rock up to a drop zone and get taken in as part of the family and looked after. That's unreal. That's cool. Yeah. You are top 100. <laughs> you are top 100 in the world. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a good, it was definitely a good <laughs> achievement. It was, it was a big goal. I didn't think I was going to be able to make it considering all the stuff that's going on at work, but you know, you just commit and make it happen somehow. Did anyone, because you said that they had to cut off a bunch of the formation, yep. so I'm guessing a bunch of people went and they didn't actually get a chance yeah, to like be a 60, part of that? 60 people. Oh, you'd be spewing. Yeah, you just didn't make the cut, not good enough? Uh, some of them didn't deserve to be there, I guess. They just weren't performing under pressure, like we're going to uh, 18 to 20,000 feet, we're sucking oxygen half the way up, and it's, it's, it's a lot of stress, like you don't want to be... Like every load is costing, I don't know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars to send up all those people. 
Um, mm -hmm. And you don't want to be the one guy who doesn't perform. If a hundred other people do, you don't want to be number 101 that didn't make, didn't cause the formation not to build. So I would whiz myself. Yeah. Like just the pressure of having to perform amongst a group like that yeah. and all the other shit about to jump out, I could whiz myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's super stressful. It's, you know, you've, you've got the stress of jumping in a drop zone that you don't normally jump at. You've got 100 people in the sky with parachutes that you don't normally fly with. That's a lot of people to deal with, like on track off and getting clear and getting your parachute open and not wrapping up with people. And then you've got the performance of the jump and then, you know, the performance of performing at your best every single time. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's, that's what makes it a special achievement. I, um, I skydived once in New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, it was, it, it seemed, it all seemed pretty fine. I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, you go to the thing and they, you know, whatever, they show you how the process and you spend some time going over it and you get to know the people and they're like, yeah, that's the plane you're going to go in. And like, cool. And then you go out, walk out to the plane, you get in the plane. I remember this so vividly. And then you get in the plane and then the plane takes off and then like that's all kind of cool and you're up in the air and they're like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to jump soon, whatever. And you're like, okay, cool. And, you, and it's obviously, it's like tandem, right? You're strapped to someone. Yep. And, uh, and then they open the door of the fucking plane and the sound of the air like tearing <laughs> through the plane. It's like you, you, can't, you can't speak, like you can't here you can't speak it's just like Bwah! like yeah and i at that moment it becomes so fucking real yep. and i just remember the fear like I, I cannot believe i'm about to jump out of this fucking door you know and um how many jumps have you done you've done like because you kind of count them up yeah to a point. it's like uh, just over two thousand fuck jeez yeah I can't stand the sound of my range hood going when I'm tr when I'm cooking. <laughs> I hate it. I'm trying to listen to music while you're cooking. Yeah, or like, trying to listen to music with the window down in the car. Well, yeah. What, what, was it like, what was it like when they <laughs> hung your legs out the door? Uh, 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 Overwhelming. Yeah, it was. I, I was. I was. Yeah, I was shitting myself. Like I was really scared the whole time. Yeah. And the feeling of yeah, the feeling of being hung out because you're strapped to the front, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. So you're kind of. You can saw. I remember being able to feel that, like, I'm just connected to the guy <laughs> by, like, you know, whatever, four, four clips. buckles. Yeah, and you can kind of feel those anchor points on your back, and you're dangling from them, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Like, if one of those, anchor, <laughs> like, if you know, and they're not yeah. gonna break, but if they break, I'm gone. Yeah, you know. And I remember that feeling, like, we jumped, and then we're like zooming through the air, and I, I remember after maybe I don't know, maybe it was ten or fifteen seconds of free fall. Does that yeah. sound about right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking like, oh, I should like scream or yell now. Like that would be like, yeah, like that would be a cool thing to do. And so I tried to do it and I couldn't. Like my breath was taken away. Right. And then he pulled the chute and then that was actually more scary because every time he'd change direction with the chute, I'd feel those anchor points yeah. like tug. And it, it, I was just like, I kept feeling like I was going to disconnect from him. Right. And, uh, and like obviously I didn't. And then we landed. And, and as soon as I got <clears> down, you know, people are high-fiving and stuff. Yeah. And I said to myself, I'm never doing that again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking done. I said that to myself for about my first 50 jumps, I reckon. No way. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I definitely had to push through. Not on the ground. On the ground, I was like, that was the best thing ever. I can't wait to go again. I'll get back on the plane, go back up. And I'd sit on the plane. It's like, why do I do this to myself? Like, <laughs> why do I put myself through this? Oh, my God. What's wrong with you? Like, you just had this experience like 30 minutes ago and you hated it. And then you get out <laughs> the door and you're just like, oh, it's the best thing ever. 
And you eventually work out that the two are related, right? That the fear and the joy are like, they're, they're completely related. The bigger one is, the bigger the other is. And, and that's kind of life experience too, to some degree. So it's that combo that you're chasing. Or you could call it adrenal addiction. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, I don't know. Like I was a really shy kid when I was young. So uh, like skydiving was, it became that thing for me. It's like, yeah, I'm shit scared. This is like scary as hell. I'm packing it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that was like a really empowering thing for me uh, to move forward within my life in many different things. And, um, you know, you can sit and live inside your little comfort bubble and that's, and that's great. But all the good things that I've found in my life have been like just outside that bubble. Like when you're a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit more uncomfortable and that's where all the good stuff exists for me for me most of the time were you were you into uh like um maybe not extremes the word but you know high octane activity or adrenaline type stuff when you were younger like in school and stuff uh i was always into like cars and racing go-karts and you know greek sorry greek greek just being <laughs> greek you know um riding bikes and 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 all that sort of stuff and when I discovered skydiving, I was like, wow, this is actually legal. This is kind of pretty funny that they let us do this. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then you build social groups through the sport and, and that's, that's also a huge part of it. Like, you know, the parties are pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What about wingsuits? You ever thought about giving a wingsuit a try? No, I've never actually really got into wingsuits. Like, like wingsuits are more something that's attractive if you're base jumping um like flying down through mountains through trees and 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 whatnot i think that stuff scares the shit out yeah. of me i can't i find it hard to watch those yeah i, I, I really 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 do yeah not really a activity for a long lifespan no um going through those little holes in the mountains or trimming the tops of pine trees yeah it's a special kind <laughs> of person that can switch off from th that risk i i I struggle to perform at a certain level of stress and I mm. think that's – there's a point at which, you know, as a base jumper you need to be able to just remove the possible consequences out of what you're doing so that you can perform what you're about to do. Because you, if, you, you, if you're crippled by fear, it definitely doesn't help you do what you need to do to survive. Do you, you base jump? Yeah. Uh, I've done a few, but I'm not a base jumper, no. I did – I did a few in the States six weeks after my daughter was born, which is probably not the smartest thing in <laughs> sport in the world to take up at that point in life. But uh, an opportunity presented itself that it was uh, a place and a time and with the coach that I said if the opportunity arrived, I would do it. And, um, yeah, went and knocked so off. Base uh, jumping is jumping like on land, like from a building or from a cliff yeah, and then pulling a chute early. Yeah, buildings, aerials, spans, which is bridges or earth. Right, that's, that's the acronym. And is the idea that the potential, like it, it's all happening so fast, you may not be able to pull the shoot quick enough, or what's the, what oh, is the inherent risk there? Oh, hitting the shit that you're jumping off is is pretty much what kills people. Right. Um, the updraft. No, just like you know, you get off a cliff, parachute opens 180 degrees, you hit the cliff that you jumped off, or the building, or if you're in a wingsuit, you. Proximity flying, that's killing a lot of base jumpers, like just hitting shit that they're trying to fly near. Um, it's just skydiving, but then, you know, we've got two parachutes, they've got one. Um, you know, it's just a stepping shit up. 
You got two parachutes in case one's faulty, like in case yes. one doesn't pull. In skydiving, yes. Okay. Yep. In your two thousand jumps, have you ever had one not fire correctly? Yes, several. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. I've had double malfunction as well. I've had a res- uh, reserve malfunction a few years ago. Holy fuck! Yeah. What, what happens happened? Then? It's actually partly caused by my 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 lack of mobility. Funnily enough, <laughs> at the time. Explain. Uh, I was just doing a jump with a friend and and uh, sort of stacked up in the door for the exit and couldn't quite get comfortable because my knees were a bit dodgy. Um, thanks, Al, for fixing that. Um, and uh, on the way out, brushed the door, which popped my pin for my main parachute. And my main parachute started to basically come out as soon as I exited the plane, which is definitely not ideal. Uh, didn't open right, so it was a mess. Uh, cut that away, but then when my reserve opened, that also didn't come out properly. Uh, so I spent, I don't know, 6,000 feet spiraling uh, under oh a reserve, my and God. my mate was kind of falling away from me, looking at me, thinking, Fuck, Lucas, why me? Why do I have to tell Sylvia? <laughs> and uh, so he thought I was gone, but like when he sort of opened his parachute and didn't see that I actually managed to address the situation with. A little bit of time to spare, but yeah, it was definitely stressful. How the fuck did you address the situation? Oh, there's just procedures. You kind of go, you, you just fight, man. You just fight until you find a solution. Like you got no other choices. You got no other options. That's what you've got. I've got no other parachutes on my back. I've got, I've got to address what's, what's on top of me and I've got to find a way to... So you're trying to untangle it and try and free it up so it could catch air? Uh, it was a bit hard to see. Mm-hmm. I had my visor was fogged up. Because uh, we'd just gone Perfect. through clouds, I couldn't see properly. But the left side of the parachute um, either had a line that had gone over the top of it and kind of bow tied the left of it, or uh, a tension knot, which is when one of the strings that comes off the parachute doesn't uh, extend completely and basically a knot forms in the middle of it. So the, the parachute was kind of diving and spinning to the left. Um, so, yeah, you just keep fighting you find a solution or you don't <laughs> my chest is actually my chest is actually fluttering a little bit here yeah it was just listen to the story that it was yeah that was definitely the the closest i've come it was uh not a good situation all right i was inspired a little while ago but now i'm not <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm like oh, i don't want to do it but have you know like t- that's that that's the reality of have you have once yeah. twice uh i've done it a couple of times mm. i did one in the cook islands when i was 16 mm. And that was a tandem, and then I did one in um, Wollongong. I got put with this guy who looked like, I don't know, he was all busted up. And I, I had to ask, and I was like, man, how'd you get so... Face was kind of crooked, you know, crooked, crooked arm. Oh, fuck. He said he landed in a building site, base jumping, and Ugh. something went wrong, but he was a, it just broke him. It, like, it just Smashed broke him body. Up. Yeah. I wonder who oh, that God. is. He'd done about, I don't know how many jumps that morning, and then... Um, I was the, the last jump before his lunch break and I'm thinking, okay, this guy's like a bit of a junkie and <laughs> I'm, I'm in between him and lunch. So this is going to be fun. So we jump and it was the same thing as what happened with you. The, the, the shoot, once the shoot opened, that's when it got scary for me because he just pulled on one lever mm-hmm. and we just went into like this vertical, spiral. horizontal spiral yeah. while everyone else was up there having fun my wife and my father-in-law, and we were just spiralling yeah. into the ground. And I, I was, honestly, I was shitting myself. Maybe he was hungry. My fucking leg. Yeah. He, just, he just wanted to get down. Yeah, he just wanted his, to get back. Just to wanted get to get his lunch. Get a decent lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty, 
I couldn't believe how much angle you can get on it. Like we, I felt like I was horizontal. Yeah. With the shoot, I could look at the shoot to the side. Yeah. And all I was thinking is, fuck, if we go upside down, do we fall through the shoot and fucking die? What happens no, there? No, like, can you like go up? Can you do loops and shit? Because um, it freaked no, me they're out. Not, they're not designed to do that, but they're like you know. Um, yeah, they're designed to do what he was doing. Yeah. He was just turning the parachute. That's how they turn. It's, it's, you know, you, t- you turn them, they dive at the ground. Um, they go faster. I think yeah. I've seen those videos. Faster. Maybe it was with you were showing me, or you posted it, of those the part of a sport, the swoopers, and the they swoopers. come in over the water. Yeah. But I don't know, you have to come in faster and faster. Oh, yeah. Swooping is so much fun. It looks like <laughs> you just hit the, like the, the top of the water. is just so like concrete at that As, as you get more experienced, your parachutes they, actually get smaller and smaller. That's what it um, is. So you should be more agile? Yeah. So a tandem parachute might be, I don't know, I don't know what size they are, 340 square feet. And like a uh, like my last parachute is 79 square feet. So it's like a quarter of the size. And they like they fly. They're like, it's like a racing car. Like you hit 100 miles an hour while you're flying a parachute, no problem. And the idea is to come on, come in on the sw- swooping is, so they come in on a gnarly angle. Boys. Yeah. So you yes. approach... Uh, a big pond, they're normally about 100 metres long. That is not long. And from about a, around 1,000 feet, plus minus, you, you can start one of those turns that your tandem master was doing with your yeah. tandem canopy, except the, the newer parachutes lose a lot more altitude, so you'll, you'll within a couple of turns, lose 1,000 feet vertically, and you use that 1,000 feet to build up a lot of speed, and then you transition that vertical speed into a horizontal <laughs> you just try speed. And pull up. Yeah, and then, like, you can, you know touch down on a 100-metre pond on the grass, drag your foot through a 100-metre pond and, and come out the other side if you absolutely nail the turn. <laughs> but if you don't... If you hit the water... It, <laughs> Goodbye, yeah. Sylvia. Is it over? <laughs> uh, it depends if the second bounce is in the water or on the grass. Uh, but but yeah. water's, water's pretty brutal at that speed? Oh, at that speed, it's concrete. If you yeah. hit it at the wrong angle, like people do kill themselves doing that, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is it true that thing where if you if you are going to land, like you were jumping from a bridge or something like that, if the water's broken, yeah, that you'll have a softer landing compared to still, or is it all just hard? Uh, I I would imagine so. I don't I don't know. So just don't hit the ground. Yeah, <laughs> so you'll be, and you'll be fine. Jump off bridges. <laughs> Man, it's wild. Yeah. So you've mentioned your wife. Yes. And you have a family. Yes. How many kids you got? Three. Okay. And so, like, how do they feel about you doing this? <laughs> Uh, there. Because I'm guessing there's no shortage of shit for you to do at home and for the beers and. <laughs> no, like they're they're fine. Um, they're fine about it. I mean, the the boys uh, especially have take a lot of interest in the gear and the helmets and and all the bits and pieces when I'm sort of packing stuff or changing parachutes over or or doing bits and pieces. Um, yeah, they love it. They 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 can't wait to sort of get involved and. Uh, when the time is right, I guess, you know, I'm sh- I'm sure they'll they'll have a go. A bit worried about the third one, but why is that? Oh, just risk assessment is probably worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, <laughs> you were saying. <laughs> uh, the other two are pretty pretty sensible. The middle one's got good risk assessment. He'll sort of sum <laughs> things up. He'll take his time and then decide, you know, is this good or not. And the daughter's pretty, you know, pretty smart with that stuff. And then the little one's just a monster. Maybe just goes for it and doesn't look doesn't assess, just goes for it. So I've got friends like that and they're scary. Do you have any, um, like when you're going to jump, obviously you've done it that many times that it's, it's very routine to you. 
But you must, do you still go through a bit of a like, do you still feel a bit of fear and appar- like sort of um, leading up to the jump? Yeah, absolutely. And so do does the does the family ever come to mind at that point? Do, yeah. Are you ever thinking of your mortality in that moment? A lot of the time, as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder to keep down, especially after a couple of incidents where I'm like, yeah, wow, even if I'm careful, things can go wrong. And, you know, over the years, you do have friends and and whatnot, unfortunately, that have accidents. So uh, some of them do stupid things, but some of them not necessarily their fault. So, yeah, it's definitely something that's on your mind. And, you know, even going to the world record, I had two goals and the first one was come home alive. The second one was come home with a record. So (laughs) priority one every day I go jumping is come home in one piece. So it's definitely present in my thoughts and it's something I definitely battle to deal with, yes, regularly. So different ways to to deal with that is to go more regularly and then you are current and you're sort of on top of your game and and you're very aware of what's going on. Uh, I find that when I'm jumping a lot, I'm a lot more comfortable and a lot more aware of possible problems and when I don't jump a lot that I feel like the risk actually goes up because you're just so stressed, you're just in survival mode doing absolute bare minimum not so aware of your surroundings and, and whatnot and you're not operating at your optimal. What kind of training? Um, obviously, you're training with us. Yeah. What do you feel has, has helped you um, continue your skydiving and, and obviously uh, stay honed and skilled in the sport and not uninjured? Um, I don't really focus too much on which sessions I'm turning up to, but... You know, I do a lot of strength and movement classes and as much as I battle with my love of those classes, they're definitely... (laughs) 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 Uh, They've definitely been really good. Like um, I had a lot of problems with my knees and just knee mobility and um, Al gave me some great exercises that pretty much literally within a month of uh, of doing what he was asking me to do, all of those problems kind of disappeared and have never come back and that's been something I've had for probably 20 years um and nice work al yeah um and and the neck definitely is is a lot stronger uh i don't get pain from big days of jumping um and uh, apart from that i used to like wake up in the morning and feel like i'd been run over by a truck and i'd like just physically healthier and stronger and more mobile than probably i've ever been in my life and i'm 44 now and I'm you know mixing it with 25 year olds in the game and that's pretty satisfying that I'm still holding on the old old fart still (laughs) (laughs) still going strong and I plan to be that way for for as long as possible you know um nice definitely want to be mixing it when I'm 50 and 60 and still ripping that's the point that's That's the the goal huh oh fuck yeah yeah man so so you got all that going on kids uh skydiving a lot and then you've got this business that you run. <laughs> yeah. And your business is no small business. Like you've got, a, you got a, like a bustling cafe. Yeah. And then at the back you've got a roastery. And I, I don't know a coffee roastery. I don't know what – like every time I see a roastery, and they seem to be more and more common these days. Yeah. There's still like there's still not many of them. But you go to the old place and you're like, oh, they've got a roastery here. But they look like a fucking big operation in terms of the machinery and the expertise and all, everything that's going on. Yeah. Where do you find the time, man? Oh, 
<laughs> I don't know myself sometimes, to be honest with you. It's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, day starts at 5 a.m., uh, quick 45-unit QC session with the team, and then... Every day, quality control? Every day, three hours a day. Three um, hours a day you're doing quality control? Yep. So, so what are you doing there? Uh, so we take samples from every batch of coffee that comes out of the roaster, and uh, the roast team uh, basically... If you come to the cafe, you'll see us sort of sipping and spitting coffee. Um, and we're just assessing whether the coffee's on profile, whether it's delivered what we're hoping to achieve with that specific coffee. And there's a lot of different coffees that we roast. So it's just a quality, it's a sensory assessment of the product that we have roasted. Um, and we do that with pretty much every batch of coffee that comes out of the drum. Is that is that standard in the industry, or is that your high level QC? Um, because that seems that's a fucking that's big, right? Yeah, well, like we put twelve man hours a day basically into QC. You know, there's three or four of us at every table, um, and we do it twice a day, six o'clock and about ten thirty. We do the second session, among other ones that get slotted in every now and then. Uh, is it normal? Uh, I would say amongst high-level coffee companies, I would think so. I would be surprised if it's not. I don't know how you can keep on top of your product if you don't do that kind of thing, but that's pretty much the highlight of, of our day back of house is, is cupping sessions, tasting what we've done. Have we done a good job? Can it be better? How do we improve it? And it's that just constant chase of even if it's good, it can always be better, and how do we make it better? How do we make it more consistent? Three hours. Why does it take three hours? Is it because there's so many different coffees to test, or um, you gotta have a bacon and egg roll with every? <laughs> 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 there's, there's usually 15, 15 samples between twelve and eighteen samples is is a normal session. Um, the coffee's got to get ground. You got to pour the water. You've got to let it cool. You got to. It's a process, and it, and it takes about twenty five minutes before you can start tasting. Um, and then the actual tasting session takes about thirty five. Uh, 35, 40 minutes, and then there's a clean-up afterwards. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Where do you source your coffee? I know you've done a few trips. Yeah. To tell us about how you find oh, find your distributors and sourcing the coffees. lengths you go to get it. Uh, we, there's, we, we buy a lot of coffees from different parts of the world. Um, three major regions are Colombia, Guatemala, and Indonesia. Lucky two of them have surf. Um, <laughs> what are the other part ones? Of the <laughs> part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones Takumi goes to. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like it's, it's they're, they're important relationships and, and face-to-face meetings with people that you are doing a lot of business with is we find important and travelling there to meet people and discuss what we're specifically looking for and what we do and don't like and having the opportunity to taste coffee side by side so we can calibrate and communicate in, in an effective way. So when... Um, you know, we'll cup hundreds of coffees in a, in a coffee trip and, and we can isolate a specific style or flavour that we are after and they'll see thousands of samples over the year and when they see something that they think we are interested in, it's like, oh, that's for, that's for Lucas. We'll pull that aside and, and send that off to him. So, um, and so that's called, is, that single or, is that what single origin is? Is that what that means? S- single origin is just a coffee from one place. Yeah. Yeah. So normally when you're doing milk coffees, you're mixing uh, coffees from different places together and that's what most coffee companies do for coffees that are uh, 
intended for mixing with milk. And usually if you're making a coffee that's intended for just to be served black, then you would usually be serving a coffee from a specific region or farm. It can get more and more specific, but single origin basically means from one region. As opposed to a blend. Yeah, which is from multiple regions put right. together. What are you looking for when you're, <coughs> when you're sipping these coffees? I mean, the active ingredient is caffeine. Yeah. And then, uh, so all coffees got that, I'm guessing, or beans. Yep. Same content? Uh, you're not, you're not looking for caffeine. It depends on, on the final use. So you're, you're looking at a final product, whether it's going to be served black, whether it's going to be served for batch brew, whether it's going to be served for espresso or whether it's going to be part of a blend. Um, so you'll be looking for different, different flavours or different styles of coffee. And it's very broad. Um, and that's, you know, you're thinking about the end product and trying to find the most suitable flavour that's going to work with the product that you're trying to put together. Can I ask a question or ask you to talk a little bit about the coffee culture here in Sydney, I guess, and and the the, the market and, like, the market of people you're going for? I guess because I'm asking because I see a lot of high-end coffee shops and yourself doing really good work. You've got quality control that's, you know, that blows me away that you put so much time into that. You go and source the beans... They're from specific people, etc. Uh, how much? Because you're putting a lot of hard work into that. There must be a market for that. For the people who appreciate coffee on that level, is that market? How big is that market? Where in Sydney, or maybe I don't see it. The specialty market. The specialty market. Does it actually reach people? Is kind of what I'm also asking, or is it? Does it? I don't know. Does that create your brand, and it only really gets to a small amount of people, and the other people? adopt the coffee because of the, the reputation, but it, it kind of gets missed on some people. I just don't... I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the time and effort that goes into yeah. a high-quality product? Yeah. Is um, it going all it's, to it's It's market? super competitive out there, right? So, you know, cafes, like, got to be one of the hardest businesses. Well, all businesses are hard, right? They will have their challenges, but I think cafes specifically have gotten a lot more difficult, so they get a lot more competitive. So mm. you're looking for a competitive edge over your competitor... Um, and what we... Enemies. Your enemies. <laughs> you hear that, uh, F45? <laughs> <laughs> the coffee's all right, tree. <laughs> um, uh, We're doing an analysis of this yeah. afterwards. Power After play. Finish. <laughs> yeah. I'll, score, I'll score it later. Yeah. <laughs> um, Where's the spit bucket? Uh, so you are trying to develop a process, and I think with, with any industry, you're trying to serve a product that people... Uh, have an expectation and they can walk in every day and have some level of expectation of what that product is going to be every day. So what we're trying to do is provide consistency in that product and consistency in that expectation that you come in today, you come in tomorrow, you come in the next day, you're going to get a great coffee every day. And that's obviously our goal. And if you come in one day and it's good and the next day it's not so good, then we haven't done our job right. So if we are able to establish that as a standard and then... Uh, find a way to to replicate that and then train our wholesale accounts to be able to achieve that as well and give them the information that they require to do that, then they have a competitive advantage uh, because they are serving a consistent product. Their customers will be happy because every day they go there, they get a good coffee. So, yeah, it's it's tough out there, but 
it's it's a great industry. There's a lot going on, and it's just a never-ending rabbit hole of stuff to learn and do and improve. What would you like to like? Where would you like your your business to get to? Is there a goal for it to? You know, do you have? Do you want to supply 500 cafes? Do you want to supply internationally, or do you do you prefer to keep things smaller? Like, what, what's the? Um, I think. Uh, for me, it's not about size. It's the, the, the company is at a size now that growth is nice but not necessary. So it's really nice to have achieved that goal. Uh, it's always been what gets us out of bed is how do we make this better? How do we improve what we do? And then working with people that are engaged in their job and engaged in delivering that level of improvement and you know the never-ending search for improvement and working in a group of people like that for me is is kind of everything um yeah that's that's really what drives us and and then that carries on to the wholesale network as well so if we're working with people that are engaged in doing a great job and representing the work that we're putting in behind the scenes then they're people that we want to work with and it's not about how big they are or how many kilos they sell it's about how engaged they are in doing a good job and then being able to communicate with them about what we love doing so that's definitely finding good clients is definitely a challenge but that's that's who you want to work with at the end of the day and that's got to be from the top of the company all the way through to your wholesale network um, so you're all aligned in what you're trying to do and then you talk the same language and you know I think that's that's a good customer client uh, supplier relationship because you're both trying to do the same thing yeah yeah, and it's holding true to your values in business. Yeah. Um, and you share a passion. Yeah, and in a competitive environment, if, if, you know, obviously cafe owners have people from other coffee companies walking in the door every day, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can give you free milk, I can <coughs> give you a better coffee machine, I can give you 50 cents less cheaper coffee, I can give you this, then... I can give you one of those big... Um Big teardrop banners <laughs> that sits out the front and like Wind waves around and, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like we're trying to engage on a different level with our clients that we understand they respect the work that we're trying to do for them and we respect the work that they're doing trying to represent what we do and then those kind of problems of pesky salespeople goes away because uh, their interest is not 50 cents cheaper. It's engaging with a coffee company that has cares about the environment and is making environmental initiatives and is paying good prices to farmers and is trying to develop an amazing product and is engaged with people that do a good job and love what they do and are committed to doing the job to the best of their ability rather than, you know, just turn up. Otherwise, it just becomes factory work, right? You just turn up and clock in, clock out, got my job done, go home. Um, yeah. And that's fine too, but that's... That's not our team. Our team is definitely as far from that as possible. Did you start your company? Yes. When? Um, coffee's kind of all I've ever done. I, was, uh, I did an, a trade with Qantas as an aircraft engineer for four years, but then um, hmm. my dad was always in shops and cafes and, and whatnot. And uh, I used to go there before and after work, and it was, I used to see him working on a coffee machine, and I'd... I'd I don't know what or why, but the, the day I saw him working on a coffee machine, I was just like, that's what I want to do. And it was the interaction with the customers, and I don't know why I was so certain about it, but it was just like many, many other people in the industry, it's just something that draws you in. And um, 
you know, kind of started from there. That's cool, man. Yeah. There is something about it when you walk into a, a, a nice cafe and you see <clears throat> the barista doing their thing and, and just the people moving around. There's something romantic about it, about that process. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's alive. Like cafes, like for me, like, like the, the cafe is, you know, a small part of the business, but when the cafe is full and the, the guys behind the bar are like pump, punching out like high quality coffees, even though that they're, they're under the pump, they're taking the care and attention to it, that's required for every single cup that goes out and then the chef's doing a good job and, and the cafe's full. Like it has, a, it's, it's like alive to me and it's, it's an amazing feeling to stand there behind the glass and just see it in full flight. And it's, I don't know, it's, it, it's, it's an, an energy that you feel, I don't know, as a customer, but definitely as an owner when the cafe is in full swing, that it's an energy that you definitely feel. It's really nice. What um, you were saying that what energizes you is the, to get out of bed in the morning is the, the quality and doing a good job and holding true to the values and stuff. I'm guessing with, with three kids, with the business, with you know, a pastime that takes up I'm imagining weekends and stuff often get gobbled up with skydiving and whatnot. Um, do, you, do you actually feel motivated every day when you get out of bed? Are you like, fuck yeah, I'm stoked to do this? Every day. And let me preface this with, I don't feel like that in the mornings, right? Like It's like sometimes you get up and you're like, oh man, it's, all right, we've got to do it. You know, and then you get it and then you start doing it and then it's not so bad. But do you, you know, what drives you on, on that sort of daily basis? Um... You know, like waking up in the dark every day for the most part of the year definitely is not my favourite thing, but I kind of accepted that waking up for me kind of sucks no matter what time of the day it is, whether it's 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, waking up is waking up. You know, it's a process of your brain is half asleep and that's never... I don't think that's fun for anyone. So I just kind of accepted that it doesn't matter what time of the day that is, it's the same process. Um, and... Going to work early in the morning, like if I do feel a bit lazy and have a bit of a sleepy and I get up and then I drive through the mayhem of peak hour and I'm like, fuck this, I'm never doing this again. It's way better to get up early in the morning and just drive straight to work in 15 minutes. Yeah, It's a good investment, you know, for a little bit of suckiness in the morning. So, um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's, I'm very, very lucky in that respect that I wake up hungry for my job every day and uh, hungry to run to the gym every day and... And for all the pastimes that I do when I can squeeze them in. Um, but, you know, it's, it definitely business takes over the balance a lot of the time and it, and it goes in waves where it's just com completely dominates everything that you're doing, you know, from 5 a.m. till 8, 9 p.m. sometimes and you struggle to get home to see the kids and, and then it's hard to justify going away on the weekend or going jumping or doing something. So then it's trying to prioritise things gets challenging. Um, but, yeah, still very hungry for what I do. I love <clears> it. <throat> were, you, were you always hungry, you reckon? Like, uh, I remember for me, I, like when I was a teenager, it was hard to get up. Um, and I ended up falling into the film industry, like, straight after school. And I think the film industry, having to get up super early and drive to different locations, like, I learned a lot of life things that I otherwise wasn't getting taught by you know, my parents or otherwise. Um, so I guess I, I learned that habit by force of the job. And then, um, like, I, I guess I'm asking, were you always energetic or, or maybe do you know where it might have come from? Was it like your, your dad or your parents who were always, I don't know, were they involved in business and always 
a working family or something like that? But um, no, like when I was working at Qantas, like I was definitely a young kid enjoying a nightlife with my friends yeah, <laughs> and having yeah. to back it up in the morning was definitely yeah. hard to get up at five o'clock in the morning. My dad would pull me out of bed and, and drive me into town and... Dragging your knuckles. Yeah, like definitely. Uh, but once... Um, I don't know, like, yeah, don't get me wrong, I definitely have my battles in the days where I just want to stay in bed and, uh, but yeah, I don't know, maybe it's the cupping session in the morning that I know I'm driving into caffeine. (laughs) 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 Maybe that's the black hole that keeps, (coughs) keeps drawing me in, but like the start of my day is just so beautiful. I literally, the the cups are cooled at six o'clock when I walk in the door. I'm lucky that the team set everything up for me. And I literally walk in the door, the cups are ready to taste and it's just like that's how my day starts every day and I can't imagine it starting any better than that. It's pretty cool. How do you feel your, your, your awareness of your own personal health has had an effect on your business? Um, I think staying, like staying healthy is just gives you energy in every aspect of your life, whether it's personal work, at home with the kids... You know, running around with the kids or, or whatever that is. Uh, I think just it, it. I don't know. I I, I don't ever. Uh, what I'm running away from is not being able to do stuff. I guess, and that's what drives me to get to the gym when I don't feel like going. It's like the, the decision to go when you don't feel like going. That's the hard ones, and they're the ones that matter. Like they're the ones that, that really. Like whenever I'm like, I really don't feel like going just go and once you get into the habit of just go once you're on your way it's all good um but what about your products and stuff because i see obviously the quality control um the menu your menu and your cafe yeah like these things they all seem like they have yeah a little bit of personal requests from me (laughs) (laughs) i need to cut out carbs chef can you make a new menu um (laughs) can we get some grilled salmon on the menu yeah definitely i um yeah, I definitely have some influence over the cafe menu and, and you definitely want it to be healthy and I think that's just a natural uh, direction that cafes are going to provide, you know, healthy healthy options. I think um, it's definitely nice to have things on the menu that you can eat, like I eat every day in the cafe basically, so I want things there that I can eat and feel good and be healthy and a good diet something I've pretty much more or less always had. Um, so... I eat twice a day in the cafe. I definitely want nice things to eat when I'm there, so it's probably reflected in the menu somewhat. Yeah, and I think uh, having like good quality coffee, uh, whole foods, that kind of thing, attracts a certain kind of clientele as well, doesn't it? Uh, so they end up being yeah, definitely. I think still got to have the bacon egg roll though. You still got to have bacon and egg <laughs> rolls, man. Just put a bit of relish on some muffins and a couple of sweets and whatnot. You know, <laughs> need something to eat in the afternoon when you're working late. <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely. Obviously, your, your menu attracts a specific type of people that like that kind of food. Um, I mean, it's not like you're doing Chico rolls or <laughs> a Chico roll. I saw a Chico no. roll wrapper up on the street the other day. I was oh, like, they still make God the damn, where do you get those? Yeah. <laughs> Botany. What a fucking success. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we used to call it a bag of yellow. You go to the fish and chip <laughs> shop and get a bag of yellow, <laughs> yellow chips and yellow fish and chips. I just remember the uh, the ads from when I was a kid and you go to a kebab shop or a fish yeah. and chip shop and it was like some girl 
on a bike. Yeah, you know, like a one, a piece, one piece swimwear on a bike, big blonde hair or something. Yeah. You're like, damn, what the fuck is a Chico roll? <laughs> yeah. But I want one. Yeah. You, uh, you said you're doing, uh, I saw a I, post no. that you put up about um, taking foil out of your coffee, uh, coffee bucket. Thank you. Is it foil? Sorry, I was just bucket? pouring some more coffee. Coffee is good, by the way, Tree. Doing um, his job. Yeah, i got to say, Tree, uh, he schooled me a lot on my method of extraction using the Mocker Master. He's done a good job. Yeah, I fucked up many times, but he, he always reminds me every week when he hands it to me. He's like, make sure the thing is open, bro, and put it all in. And I'm like, hey, okay, I got it, I got it. <laughs> That's actually really That's nice. nice. We used to get a little bit too buzzed from it. The, the boys had a fucking meltdown one day. crash. You got caffeine high, huh? Not good for me. <laughs> Taking it slow today. Um, talking about the foil in the bags, it's it's um, it's been a process. So the environmental initiatives are definitely an important thing for us um, at the cafe and both in, in the wholesale business. So it's taken us a couple of years, but we were sort of thinking, why do we put foil liner inside a coffee bag when we're not storing it on a supermarket shelf for six months? Um, it's basically got a life in a cafe of seven days. It kind of arrives a week after roasting and it's gone two weeks after roasting. So we worked with different suppliers and it was kind of a lot of uh, trial and error, but we finally found a supplier that was happy to remove the foil. Uh, and we not only worked to remove the foil so that the bag could become recyclable and soft plastics are really difficult to recycle, but uh, we deliver them to cafes and we actually pick up the empty coffee bags from the cafes uh, every week when we do our coffee run. Um, we have found a recycling program uh, in Newcastle. So we're collecting, I think so far we've recycled about 60 kilos of uh, used coffee bags. And it's hard to take an Instagram photo of it and make it look nice because it actually looks really disgusting <laughs> that this shit normally ends up in the ground. And we're like such a small drop in the ocean for what's happening out there. Uh, but we've found a place that can take those used coffee bags um, and recycle them and they're turning them into things like park furniture. We've actually got a conversation going on at the moment to try and turn them into things that can be used by cafes, whether it's tables or furniture or different bits and pieces. Um, so, yeah, I think looking after the environment is definitely important and, and having that as something that you focus on and look for ways to improve what you do is also important. That's nice. so cool, man. Yeah, mm. I like it. Good yeah. on you guys. So, yeah, the other thing we do is we, we've got a lot of cafes now that take their coffee in tins, um, five kilo tins, so we drop off the tins and we pick up the empty tins from the week before. Um, and it's, yeah, it's definitely a significant reduction in, in the waste that the business is producing um, and unnecessarily, really. So, I'm guessing you get a good response from, your, from the people you're supplying to. They like the idea of that or don't really care much? We, we actually weren't really sure how how important it was to them, but um, more or less, I, I don't know what the uptake was. We, we said about our, our, around 50% would be good, but I think it's somewhere up around the 90, 80 or 90% oh, wow. of the bags. Obviously, the only ones we can collect are the ones we deliver to, and we obviously we courier some, some of the deliveries because they're outside of our reach, but uh, from the cafes that we deliver to, almost all of them return almost all of their bags every week. It's actually when they come back and we shove them into the thing before we send them off, it's like, wow, um, that's not so pretty, but at least they're being returned into something. I think they also can make a certain type of 
road tar from it, which is good because they need lots of that stuff. So trying to work out what to do with them when they come back was definitely a challenge to close the actual loop so we don't have a pseudo-recycling program that we're pretending to do something. We actually completely closed the loop. I think we're the first coffee company in, in the country to actually completely close the loop on this process of the packaging that we're using. So No, that's excellent, Lucas. Mm. It's one step closer to the circular economy. Yes. We need good work. Yeah, it's about turning rubbish into a resource, right? Um, you, uh, for a living, you slang caffeine. Yep. Uh, I saw a post on Facebook the other day. Someone said, I can't, it was in a group or something. So it was a question like, <laughs> God help what, is the worst, what is the worst drug out there that is like culturally acceptable or something? And in the fucking comments, it was like red meat. And then someone's like, um, sugar and then caffeine and like all these things pop out, right? And you're like, yep. yeah, sure. All these things can 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 fuck you up in yep. the wrong dosage. And I know this, you know, coffee myself. If I, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act always, or what, you know, the right amount. I'm productive and energized and all that, and a little bit too much. I'm anxious, going to a bit of a hole, you know, whatever. Yeah. What what advice do you have as someone who works with this daily? And I'm guessing for someone who drinks a, you know you have the potential to drink a lot of coffee yep how do you like what are your kind of big three tips for managing that relationship successfully with coffee yeah because i know because there's a lot of people out there that still fuck it up all the time yeah and there always will be like with with any drug right alcohol tea um, reaches for his cup to be refilled <laughs> <laughs> i'll get you back bro <laughs> um line my lap a lot a lot of um a big part of my job is tasting a lot of coffee, but outside of that, I still want to sit down and um, just, it's, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's a bit of a ritual thing, right? Like um, having a cup of coffee, sitting at your desk, enjoying your morning cup in peace, and then getting productive, right? So um, I don't know how you manage someone who whoever uses something. It's, it's usually a function of some other problem, I guess, like every other drug, but uh, just... What do you do for yourself? Do you limit the amount you have per day? I don't really think Before about it, food, to be honest. Food. I, I don't think about it. My day starts with a QC session. Um, That's the first the thing going to in this Yeah, but I, we don't drink that. It's like you slurp and spit, but there's obviously an intake uh, and it's impossible for me to know what that amount is. But yeah. um, And then I come to the gym, I go back, have a shower, have my first cup of coffee and then it's second QC session. And then after that, I might have... One cup, maybe two cups. I don't really measure it or think about it, but I know there were periods where I was just like, had a coffee machine at home and I was just relentlessly drinking coffee all the time and I was just like, this is getting ridiculous, you know, like I can't walk out the backyard, cut the grass without a cup of coffee and can't have a shower without having a cup <laughs> yeah, of yeah, water, yeah, you yeah. know, like it was, it's you like know, that so cigarette. like a crutch. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really think about it, to be honest. I. I well, it's not like a problem for you. No. So, he likes the high octane life. <laughs> we had a mate. We got a mate who owns a gym, and he's got a big cafe there. Yeah. And he said when they first did the cafe, they put a coffee machine in there, and for the first time, he had like a staff member that was, their job was to make coffees, and they were like, "Hey, Rob, want another coffee?" He'd be like, "Yeah, sure, hit me up." And I think he said he was averaging like seventeen coffees a day no. or something. And he was just like, this is fucked. Like, I've yeah. got to put a stop to this, you know. But it was the novelty of it and, you know, yeah. probably being a bit underrested and all those yeah, things. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really notice the, the buzz that it gives you. 
anymore. Um, it kind of just blends into the, the kind of the rest of the day. I don't really drink too much coffee in the afternoon. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. So first part of the day is where you're doing most of your consumption. Yeah, up to around midday, I would say. I, I don't really, if I have a coffee after midday, it might be one. I'm definitely not drinking coffee into the, into the evening. I value my sleep. Well, T, I know you've, you go off caffeine routinely because you, you find yourself over-consuming. I like to give everything a rest at times. Yeah. I think too much of one thing all the time just starts to build up in the body a little bit. I feel like um, there's like a, a surplus of whatever chemical or whatever, whatever that ingredient is that's just kind of sitting around. So I'll just ditch it for a bit. How often do you do it and how long do you ditch it for? Uh, I usually go for about a month with no coffee. And I'll probably do that, uh, you know, two or three times a year. I call yeah. that inconsistent. Uh, oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I think my heart lack of commitment. <laughs> lack yeah. of commitment. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. No, it amazes me when you do stop. Yeah, you've done yeah. longer than a month before. Yeah, yeah, done longer than a month, but usually it's like average around around the month. If if things are really stressful, like if life's got a lot of extra stress in it, then I'll just ditch it because I feel like sometimes it just makes me. When I should be resting, it makes me feel like I need to be doing something. That's probably the same with me. I think I've only ever stopped like twice ever type thing. And it was at a time where I thought I was, it was just like a negative relationship with it. Mm. You know, you got kids and business and you're kind of drinking coffee, not for the pleasure or the ritual. Yeah. And you lose that. You're like, and yeah, and it just makes you a little bit edgier when, you, when I want to be a little bit more present. Mm. When, it, when it got to that point, I think that's when I stopped. But yeah. I think what about the, I the coffee beans that, that the cat shit out? What's the deal with that? No, oh, that's, that? that's animal cruelty. But that's Is that a, the luwak? Yeah. What? what are civets? Well, they're basically force-feeding these cats because there was a market created around it that was the coffee actually doesn't taste that good. There's far better coffees in the world that are produced in far nicer ways. <laughs> and they're basically... They had this thing saying that they were like wild animals and they would go out and search for it like truffles. <laughs> Uh, but well, they I were basically the animals beans. in a cage that they were force feeding really? coffee cherries and killing oh, them. I believe from the story. Caffeine overdose. Yeah, I thought they oh. were hanging in the trees and just. So that's a yeah. I think it's a, a fad that's kind of come and hopefully gone, but I'm sure it still exists in the marketplace. But it's yeah, definitely not a good thing. Oh, oh, that's bad. That's marketing power for you. That huh? is marketing power, isn't it? Yeah, but coffee yeah. is a wonderful it's thing. A right? Like bulletproof coffee. That's a great piece of marketing. Yeah, right there. I know you guys have never done bulletproof coffee till no. No, no. How do you feel about it? I don't really know that much about it, to be honest with you. Um, It was a piece of marketing genius Mm. by Dave Asprey, Bulletproof Executive. He had this brand. That was what it was called. Yeah. And he came up with this awesome story, which I'm sure there's truth to it. He was hiking through the Himalayas or something and was brought in, you know, like uh, was kind of solo or whatever and then was brought into like a monastery to spend the night and they put him, you know, they gave him a bed and they and they, they gave him this cup of tea and the tea was really strong, like quite, you know, quite caffeinated and it had, they mixed yak butter into the tea and it became this creamy hot kind of concoction and it energised him. And yeah. all the monks were jacked. Yeah, yeah. huge. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. muscles bulging, <laughs> veins in their Well, as a, res- as a result of that, right, because that was around to stop well, you're kind of replacing your breakfast meal with fat and some coffee, right? Yeah. 
I don't like it actually. I don't, I don't know if it was around that time, but I kind of stopped eating breakfast around that time because of that. And I was like, I always thought I needed breakfast in the morning. I think one of the if you're talking about diet before, like not eating in the morning, and I'm like, I don't eat till after the second cupping session. So I was up at five. I do the gym, and and my first meal of the day is around ten. 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And like for me, that's actually been one of the most noticeable things that has affected me in a positive way, health-wise. Um, I find I get sick less, I'm sore less. Just having breakfast? Just, no, just not, not eating until, just till like reducing the hours that you're eating during the day and mm. not eating first like thing in the morning. Mini fast. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, intermittent fasting. It's a pretty like yeah, that's a pretty standard protocol that you're using, you know, haphazardly, right? Yeah. So you what you eat from like say eleven a.m. till till you go to bed till dinner, which is like six six or I try and have it at six o'clock. Yeah. I know. So you got like an eight hour window, and then there's sixteen hours of fasting. Oh, apart from the sweets and ice creams after dinner. Uh, Yeah, right on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a guy like you, man. You need you need the food too, right? Like it's you know. Yeah. It's a the fasting ones. I I I, uh, I strongly agree with it. I think for a lot of people, it works really well for their lifestyle, and um, for people who are wanting to get rid of excess weight, it's a really good way to reduce the amount of calories they're consuming. Because yeah. you're essentially going from three meals a day, which is the standard Western template, down to two. Yeah. Uh, so you cut your calories by roughly a third. Uh, however, for people who are really active and lean and are not in a position where they're trying to lose weight. The fasting thing can sometimes go in the wrong direction. Yeah. In that they just become undernourished. Yeah. It sounds like you've landed on a pretty good sort of spot. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that has really helped me get rid of a lot of little niggles that, like little illnesses. I've just const- constantly felt like I was a wow. little bit sick here or a little bit sick there or this was sore or that was sore or, or something. But I just feel like that has, I don't know if it's that specifically, but that's the only thing I can kind of relate it to that having long periods of just feeling good and healthy. Um, lately, which is, yeah, not always been the case. That's cool, man. Um, I want to ask you, uh, i got one last question about coffee. Homebrew, when people are doing AeroPress or they're doing a drip thing or they're, you know, whatever the fuck they're doing. Yeah. What are like the one to two main mistakes people make? Mistakes. Mm. Yeah, where do people fuck up coffee brewing? Uh, I don't, hard to say if I don't see people brewing but like i could probably give you some tips that would 100 percent improve what's happening <coughs> give us home. the tips the, tip, no the tips would people. be 100 percent have a hand grinder and grind your coffee fresh and two would be get a scale and measure the amount of coffee that you're putting into whatever you're doing so you can standardize it so that they're the probably the two biggest things that will be make a huge improvement that are super easy to do and don't cost a lot of money why do you choose a hand grinder? Because um, you can get a really good one, like what I use at home for a couple hundred bucks. What, and what do you have? What is that? It's, it's called a Commandante. Yes, I've used one of those. Yeah. Luke Tullock who came on the show, he's got one. Yeah. It's a fucking dream. Oh, dude, they're amazing. Like I travel with that thing around the world. That and my AeroPress. In Commandante. A in, yeah. So you can get like a really good quality... <clears throat> grind from your coffee and then obviously grinding fresh is a huge thing because coffee goes stale as soon as it's ground and then the weighing thing just keeps you know the ratio of coffee to water um, consistent and that's also super important in in brewing a good cup of coffee water temp um 
not as important as the other two, but you can just boil water. You can brew coffee with boiled water. It's no problem. If it's too hot, is that an issue? No. Oh, well, that must be a bit of a myth then. Because I always I've thought that it burns it. No. You can't burn coffee unless you put a lighter to it. Uh, 150 degrees it'll start to burn yeah. 100 degrees would. of water won't burn anything yeah, except right. your skin but um, it just it's it's a solvent so it just increases the efficiency of water working as to dissolve stuff in the coffee but it like it does have an effect but I would say grinding fresh and weighing how much coffee is going into your brew whatever method you're using and weighing how much water you add to that and getting that ratio right are the the biggest, the things that make the yeah, biggest difference. Yeah, they're the biggest, yep. by far the biggest things that are going to influence the quality of the brew. What about like coffee machines, like home machines? Um, coffee machines. What I don't, do you got at home? I don't have a coffee machine at home. I just brew coffee, filter coffee at filter home. Filter coffee. Yeah, AeroPress and V60 and there's Clever Drippers if you're going to do it Clever at home. Clever Drippers, and you want my the, boy. The easiest thing to do that you can't fuck up and just put Is boil. that what that is? What no, tree gave us? That's a mocker master. You know, Clever Drip is like a plastic thing that's got a valve. So you basically put the filter in, rinse it, chuck your 12 grams for every 200 mils of water of freshly ground coffee, <laughs> chuck boiled water on top of it. It's a couple of numbers. Let yep. it sit for f- three or four minutes and stick it on top of your cup and it drains. It's just literally the easiest way to make a so good cup of coffee. So idiot proof. Yeah. And you almost can't overdo it because the water cools as the coffee brews so it stops extracting as the water so you can kind of leave it there indefinitely if you you can be non-specific you know as long as it's maybe two three minutes or longer than that before you drain it you'll be good yeah it's a fucking wonderful piece of technology it's kind of replaced my aeropress it's even yeah i enjoy using it more than that that's what i use at home but aeropress is good for traveling because you can sort of pack it nice and i love my aeropress yeah do you sell them at the shop coffee dripper I need a new one. Clever I drop dripper. mine. It's got oh, a crack in it. Uh, I don't know if you can get parts for them. I can check for you. Mate, um, we're going to wrap up in a sec. Yep. Um, I, I guess I wanted to, uh, to say thanks for coming on, obviously, but thanks for being a dude all these years as a local business person that we can kind of collaborate with on things. And we, you probably doesn't appear as you know, like you've done much, but we ask you things and we take your advice <laughs> as a business person quite, you know, quite seriously and we, we value that. So thank you. Um, you've got some stuff happening with your cafe. You've got a bit of a move going on soon. Yep. Um, is there anything you wanted to mention about that and where people can access it and, and what they can look for in the future? Um, yeah, we're building a new space over in Marrickville. It's been a uh, project that, I'll be happy when it's done. It's been a two and a half year process, but um, it's it's going to open in Marrickville sometime next year, and I'm sure everyone will hear about it in the appropriate way. But it's just off Addison Road. Um, it's going to be a beautiful little cafe space and a new facility, and we'll have a mad party to celebrate it. I'm sure. Sick. Yeah, we'll be there. I bet you will. Is that happening this year or next year? Uh, we were hoping for this year, but looking at um, what's going on it's probably going to be first quarter of next year by the time it's kind of done in a way that we want to present it to the world nice um, and it'll definitely be a unique coffee space in Sydney uh, hopefully one of the best and uh, we're pretty excited about it and it's going to be yeah very beautiful where can people follow that journey what's the Instagram account uh, Deluca Coffee is our Instagram account and we'll start leaking some bits and pieces about it over the next few months unreal yeah, yeah. 
Brother Lucas, thank you for being with us today, man. Oh, thanks for fixing me and allowing me to play with my friends for the next 10, 15 years. <laughs> Anytime, bro. 20, 20 years. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> thanks, boys. Thanks, Lucas. Cheers, guys. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, that was Lucas of Deluca Coffee. Uh, big thanks to Tree and the crew over at Panavore for, for providing our coffee that we're drinking in-house today. Um, if you need anything from us, you can get us at junglebrothers.com. You can find us on Instagram at junglebrothersmovement. Heaps of tips on, uh, on how to train, how to uh, operate a, a, a yourself and to have a better lifestyle. Uh, if you want any help with anything, just reach out. You can DM or go through our website. Uh, we've got our next coaches internship happening in uh, early March of next year. There's a couple of spots available for that. Not many, though. The, the, the spots are limited and a few have already been nabbed. So uh, get in touch if you're interested in taking your coaching game to the next level. Um, we have our jiu-jitsu program starting full-time in the coming months. So if you like training jiu-jitsu, you want to also be strong and mobile and have a body that is less prone to injury, then you can do all of those things here. So uh, hit us up. Come check that out. Um, and yeah, if you like the episode today and you know someone that would also enjoy it, please share it with them. That would go a long way for us. Thanks, fam. Catch you next time.